You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. It is Thursday. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. We got March Madness starting any minute now. Hasn't quite begun when we're recording this, but as we do every Thursday, we have Mike Sando from ESPN on. How are you, dude? I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. Good to hear you. Good to chat, as always. And I want to tell you guys, too, you can also get the Locked On NFL podcast on a brand new podcasting app called Himalaya, as well as the ones we've been using, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcasts, Locked On NFL. So those are two things I need you to do. And Mike, let's dig right into what I think is the news of the day. The Saints. Saints just signed Jared Cook about an hour ago. And before that, they unexpectedly, at least it was unexpected to me, lost Max Unger to retirement. So let's start with Cook. I mean, to me, he was far and away the best tight end on the market and certainly the best one left. And I really think that goes a long way for that offense. I mean, they had two great weapons. They really needed a third, and I think they got it today. Yeah, I like I, I like Jared Cook, especially with a good quarterback. I think they will utilize him. They're, they're not going to have him come in and, and you know, the the GM who got him isn't on the same page as the head coach who wants mm-hmm. to do something else. You know what I mean? Kind of right. like when, when Jimmy Graham went to Seattle, it was sort of like the coaches just wanted a wide tight end, you know? <laughs> and uh, sometimes that disconnect, um, you know, you don't get the most out of the guy. And I think I think for the Saints, it's obviously Sean Payton wants them. So you know they're going to use them well. They've got a quarterback who obviously knows what he's doing. So I think it's a good signing, really nice signing. Not a, you know, not a huge ton of money and a and, uh, good player. Yeah, real good player. And some trends we've seen with them is I think more than most teams – they build that basketball team where, you know, Cook will be the center, Michael Thomas will be the power forward, all the way down the line where they have a wide variety of guys. They always have a Ted Ginn, Devery Henderson field stretcher on the outside. I think Cook can stretch the field from the inline wide position and move them all over the place. And someone smarter than me recently said, and I wish I could quote them, that there's maybe 10 offenses in the NFL that really know how to scheme the tight end position up. And I think it's pretty clear Peyton's one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think he knows how to do just about everything on offense. But uh, it's just a nice piece. And we, it's funny, you know, we've seen Cook bounce around. He was with Aaron Rodgers for a little while and, you know, uh, elsewhere. But uh, I like the pairing with Breeze. I, I like, like you said, they know, they know how to use him. It's going to be a very specific addition. Um, I'm sort of excited to see him in the offense. Yeah, and Gruden, I thought, schemed him up very well last year, kind of by default, but I think he's got a lot left in the tank. Another Saints note is the the center situation, and I think it's more noteworthy for them than it would be other teams. First of all, looking back at that trade, the Unger-Jimmy Graham trade, really worked out for New Orleans, and really in the Breeze-Payton era, I don't think any team has put more resources into interior offensive linemen. Jari Evans. I mean, going back every step of the way. And there's a reason for it. These guys know what they're doing. It's because Drew Brees is a shorter quarterback. And he can't have a pocket just collapsing on him because he doesn't see the field as well. And I know they replaced Unger. But losing a starting center is a big red flag to me no matter what. Especially unexpected like that. Yeah, I don't like it at all. I thought... You know, if you were to look at 
they're the Saints offensive offense statistically, you know, the four years before Unger got there, the four years with him, you're not going to see a ton of difference. They've been a good team, but I do believe that the veteran center is a nice stabilizing influence for a quarterback. Um, I think there's value in that. I think, you know, it's not coincidental that when Seattle traded Unger to Seattle was about the time we started hearing, you know, Seattle's offensive line became such a huge problem. And the line sort of became a huge liability and wasn't a position of leadership on the team. Now, obviously, at that time, Seattle had the Legion of Boom and this defense that was had a bunch of leaders on it. But that offensive line really became the Achilles. And there were multiple reasons, but I think Unger's trade, the trade of Unger, hurt. I think he was stabilizing for Breeze. I really do. I think when mm-hmm. a quarterback has that guy, um, it does help. So um, that is tough. That's a tough one also that I wasn't expecting. You know, we didn't see see that necessarily coming. Be interesting to see you know, what his thinking was, but uh, that hurts. Their offensive line in New Orleans has been a big strength. It has been. They're one of the best in the league and continually putting resources into it. I would think I still think they're one of the best teams in the league, and unfortunately, they've been knocked out of the the last two playoff games in really rough fashion. But I think they're mentally tough, and that's not going to knock them down. But you know, things change quick, and their window could be closing as fast as anyone. But I look at the other thirty or all thirty-two teams, and I might have the, I might have the Saints as my team with the fewest needs going into the draft. Like I don't know if there's a spot that they have to address. Maybe they do find a nice center or trade up for one too. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think that they're they're still a very solid team. I just, you know, when you look at that offensive line, you know, Armstead at left tackle misses games. You right. know? <laughs> so when you have some guys that are in and out of the lineup, you always want to know who can we count on. You know, you, you know, and I think Unger's been somebody you could just count on. You just pencil him in. He's going to play. He's going to lead that group. I think that center position lends itself to leadership, and that's a hard one to replace. I agree with you. They're still going to be a very good team. But remember, late last season, you know, Drew Brees and that offense weren't the same. Something was different. No, they definitely you, weren't. You know, statistically, it fell off a cliff. So what was it? Can Brees only do it a certain, for so long during a season? Can they only scheme them up so long and then – you know, it's harder to do and sustain late into the year. I don't know what it was, but I think of all the older quarterbacks, you know, when you start talking about Brady or or Roethlisberger or, Bree, or, or Rogers, Rivers, Rivers um, the one people, you know, in the league are most concerned with physically holding up and, and talk about the drop-off the most on is Breeze. I guess that makes you know, sense. I mean, if they all walked in the room, that would probably be the one you picked if you didn't know their names or any of those type of things. You know, Big Ben's a big strapping guy, so's Rivers. I thought Rivers, you know, kind of wore down as the season went on, too. Um, yeah. And last Saints note, I do think the Cook thing is part of the was part of the problem last year, too, is taking two weapons away is a lot easier than taking away three. I, I agree, and it was interesting. So I, I pulled up Cook, our, our splits on him. And you mentioned Gruden using them well. So of his of his snaps, he had 400, 500 snaps from the slots, you know, from left and right slot. He had 190 as just the tight end lined up on the right side, you know, okay. another 28 tight end left side. So there's that's not many. You know, he he get, no, but get this. So 
lining up wide to the right, 70 snaps. Wide to the left, 94 snaps. So 160 snaps, he's lined up wide. That's more, you know, that's not more, but it's 210 lined up as a tight end. You know, it's 500 lined up left and right in the slot. So it's somebody who's been, you know, as recently as last season, lined up everywhere for a lot of snaps. Uh, There's just no concentration. What's funny is if I told you those numbers and I gave you like four different players to pick from and they were like Golden Tate and Keenan Allen or Marquise Colston in his prime. I mean, those yeah. are, he's really a slot receiver. I mean, you can put T.E. next to his name and he's not the only one in the league like this, but he was out wide as much as he was in line and he was a slot receiver, what, 80% of the time? He's a slot receiver. He is, he is a slot receiver. He has... He caught six six touchdown passes last year from four different alignments. Hmm. You know, three you know three from the right slot, one from the left slot, one lined up wide to the right, one wide to the left. That's decent production. You got to figure that could ramp up. You know, in the Breeze offense. Uh, obviously, the Raiders had a ton of issues last year, and they played better offensively late in the year. But I don't think approached the level that the Saints have been playing at for. 12 years or 13 years. Yeah, I bet the 2019 Saints have more touchdowns, first downs, <laughs> play calls than the 2018 Raiders. You would think so, <laughs> yeah. And, and just a versatile piece. You're right. We talked about tight end, but you're right. He is a slot receiver. He's a slot receiver. Anything. Yep. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. i got two other big t- team topics I want to discuss to finish up the show. We'll be back here in a moment. All right, Mike. Believe it or not, NFL GMs aren't idiots, and they know more than everyone out there about their respective teams. And you and I have our strong opinions, and I'm not saying GMs are always right, but I find it kind of amusing and disturbing how much Dave Gettleman is getting crushed right now. That What's he doing? He doesn't have any plan in place. What the heck's going on with the Giants? They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I find that wrong. <laughs> I, just don't th- I, mean, I, I think the plan's well, kind of yeah. clear. Well, okay. Do you think it's a coherent plan from two years ago to now, or whenever Gettleman took over? Do you think that's been a? Do you think they've had the same basic plan, or do you think no. they keep having a new plan every year? I, I, they have a plan. It just seems like it keeps changing. Right. Yes. Uh, in that regard, no. I mean, I think if you drafted Barkley, you probably still had faith that Eli could get you back to where you were, and you were closer than you thought. So in that regard, no. I think it's been a roller coaster in terms of direction the team is going. But I think this offseason tells us an awful lot that, hey, we really are rebuilding. We need picks. And Mike Lombardi talks about this all the time, and his book is really good and discusses it quite a bit about culture. And I think getting Odell out of the building when an eventual quarterback takes over might make sense along with his money. And everyone's like, well, why do you still have Eli? Well, because I think Eli is a very good culture guy for the locker room now. Not necessarily winning games, but for the first round pick this year or next year to learn from Eli. For the culture to be filtered through him still in some ways. And But in the end, I think they're telling us they're rebuilding. And why I say that the path has been sort of a roller coaster is the Barkley choice. Because I think when you take Barkley, you think you're close. And I don't know that anyone's unhappy about Barkley, but you know what I mean? I mean, the the whole quarterback versus Barkley conversation is a different, you know, conversation. It it is a different conversation, but, you know, the only that's defensible if you just didn't 
grade into those quarterbacks as being good. The problem is, you know, Baker Mayfield looks like he might be really good. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? but there maybe were, they uh, had a, the high grade on Mayfield. I'm not defending. It sounds like I'm defending them. I mean, Mayfield was yeah. for them. It wasn't like they could have picked Mayfield. Right, 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 right. So, you know, throw that one aside. And, and really, yeah. then you're looking at the other guys, and I don't think everyone's excited about Darnold. I mean, heck, we can't go two days without hearing how great Darnold's going to be. But I, I don't know that it's a <laughs> slam dunk that he's going to be. He's not out of um, the woods yet. Yeah, I mean, are we putting him down for five Pro Bowls or, you know, or one or two? And what's the, you know, the positional value, everyone knows the quarterback's way more important. So it is just the question is, how good are those quarterbacks, right? Because you can find an average quarterback. They change teams all the time. Mm-hmm. Case Keenum's an average quarterback, right? Joe Flacco's an average quarterback, right? Nick Foles is an average quarterback. I mean, Ryan Tannehill's an average quarterback. A year from now, if Mariota isn't re-signed, he's an average quarterback, a little above average. You know what I mean? Like I hate to say it, so, Kirk Cousins is an average quarterback. Kirk Cousins that's is why probably he cha- a little, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little better. Above average, but, that's but, why he changed teams. So, yes. So would would you rather have a Hall of Fame running back or one of those quarterbacks? You know, that that's that's the defense of Gettleman. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that's what you're in, saying. In that argument. In and that they kind of already right. have that guy. Yeah, but I mean, to me, um, I agree. They look like they're setting themselves up to um, bring a quarterback in without that quarterback having Odell Beckham as a distraction and hounding them for the ball. They want to be – they want to have a good run game um, – you know, for their quarterback and still have some weapons. I think you, you can have weapons besides Odell Beckham. There's a lot of good offenses that don't have Odell Beckham, right? There's a lot of offenses that are better than the Giants have been with Odell Beckham. The offenses that didn't have anyone even close to that, right? So uh, you can you can do it. Now, the, ish, the thing is, though, you have to take the quarterback, right? You have to find, you have to get somebody, right? The, I mean, that right. they can't just... Even if you don't like keeping, these two, you still... I'm fine keeping Eli, but you mm. got to have some bring someone else in, right? How many years can you go without getting yeah. the quarterback? I mean, if you yeah. if you don't have a shot at Kyler Murray and you don't like Haskins and you look at all the other guys like they're backups, uh, that's defensible. But then another year goes by and we all get older and Barkley gets older and you know I, you know what I mean. Like there's a, there's a lot of people who said, hey, Wentz and Goff, you know, it should typically be a second round quarterback mm-hmm. coming out. Well, guess what? We don't get to say that. You have to have one play, you know. <laughs> so. The Rams took Goff and found a way with their team to go to the Super Bowl with him. And he has good numbers, whether or not he's a great player. You know, Wentz, the jury's out because he's been hurt, but I think they've had, you know, a successful team with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Giants need to find somebody younger that they can build around and hopefully have on a cheaper contract for a few years while you try to, you know, have the best of both worlds. Keeping Eli Manning around, who's average to below average at a huge price without having a young guy is not acceptable right <laughs> right yeah I, I guess my point isn't i guess here's my point because i wrote an article about halfway through last season saying i think odell beckham is the best wide receiver in the league right now on tape and his numbers aren't showing it but wow he looks better than ever he looks better than julio mm-hmm. ab all those guys but he has missed significant time he's very expensive he's a big personality and i think what gettleman has built though is a really nice nest for a presumed young quarterback to fall into. You sit there in a room with Eli, the line's not terrible. I think minus Odell plus Golden Tate, this is still a group of you know uh, weapons that is in the top half of the league. It's not in the top five or anything, but 
Tate, Ingram, Shepard, Barkley. I mean, that's a good group. I would love to be fall into that situation if I'm a young quarterback. I agree too, and they've got the extra pit. You know, they got that pick yeah, this yeah, yeah. year too. So double picks, and uh, I like the toughness. You know, if, if Tate can still play, I love the toughness he brings to a team. You know, I, I just like his overall makeup. You know, he, right. he's he's he, Golden Tate's really the he's opposite a positive of a diva, opposite of a diva receiver to me. You know? Right, like, just, I don't think that's an yeah. accident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had some grit to your team. So you know, they want to build it a certain way, and I think we can easily criticize how they got here you know but if this is your new plan going forward and you're going to take a quarterback into it then the plan from this point forward can still be a good one and you got kevin zeitler who's really good and also brings the right attitude for an edge rusher you might have cut yep yeah and i believe (laughs) i do believe that the gm the current gm and the coach of the team have a better feel than others of what you know what the chemistry makeup of the team should be and all that it doesn't mean you get the you just get a free pass and we don't analyze it because we say they know more about their team than we do that's not that's not how we do this no right right you, but you take that into account too and you know i i'm with you that i don't i'm not just going to call them complete idiots you know but i do criticize i do criticize the last couple of years for just being disjointed yeah i think disjointed is a great word and I was thinking more of the last month or two plan, mm-hmm. not the last couple of years. But yeah, yep. yeah, I think that's a good point. The criticism of them, though, of their plan is it's over a three-year period. It's not, you know, the actual trade of Beckham is has to be taken into context of, you know, that you just you just signed them and said you were building around them and that sort of stuff. So what are you actually doing? That obviously was not good business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, I mean. Right. No, I can't complain. I can't argue with that one. Uh, Another quick break, and then I want to talk about where, maybe compare the Giants and the Dolphins a little bit, where Miami is with their team-building experience, and we'll be back here in a moment. All right, Mike, Miami signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, and even before any of this opened, you know, any any of the movement happened, they were far and away the longest shot to win the Super Bowl by Vegas odds, and... At the time, I was like, I know they're rebuilding, and you, you hear the word tanking and all that, but are they that much worse than the, the other three or four bad? They were that much worse than Arizona, and I now think they are. You know, and again, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's on purpose. And I do think if you go get the Belichick disciple and you tell him you build this thing from the ground up, and you have you just bring in your type of guys with as many picks as you can. We saw the you know the Browns are starting to pay off, and Miami might get that top pick and get Tua next year, and we might be really excited about them one year from now. Maybe it's so amazing to me. So this is Ryan Fitzpatrick's eighth team, and if he starts eighth. for him, he started for all the teams. He started for the Rams. He started for the Bengals. He started for the Bills. He started for the Titans. He started for the Texans. Started for the Jets and started for the Bucks. Isn't that amazing? That's a quarter he of the could, league. He could just say. Yeah, I've started. I was a starting quarterback for eight teams. So right. I mean, it's tell his grandkids. It's like a it's right. sort of a badge of honor, but it's also a badge of wait a minute. That means all those teams wanted to get rid of you at a certain point, and here he is again. Um, it's almost like Crash Davis started, you know, and having yeah. the most home runs in minor league history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's sort of a combination of having. Yeah, it's it's sort of like. He's going to finish his career with a ton of interceptions, but you got to play a lot to get those interceptions. So, right, you know, you're still in the league. There's a lot of million be, dollars in the bank. I mean, he signed yeah, a lot of so, big contracts. Yeah, right. I I just go back to their, 
you know, to their news conferences offseason, I think before they even announced uh, Flores as their head coach, it might have been when they were announcing Chris Greer, you know, remaining as their GM, but actually having GM power. Uh, okay. uh, Stephen Ross, the owner, uh, really was talking more about long term. So I think they have initially an, you know, an accurate view of where they're at as a team and have decided to to, you know, we're not going to sell the idea that okay, these three moves we make this offseason are going to get us to the wild card and make us be a contender. I think they, it is a real reset. We can see that by the, some of their moves since then. And they'll be picking very high probably in the draft a year from now unless, you know, Fitzmagic can get some, you know, get some wins out of them. I don't see them, though, as the type of team that's going to have that 10-6 and six year like the Jets did with Fitz. You know, I, I no. think they're, they're going to be worse than that, and they're being honest about it. Two thoughts on I, I like that they're doing it. I mean, if they're if they're all in in a Browns like fashion and they are doing this, great. As long as you're patient, you know, like don't bring in X type of offensive players or three four guys, and then a year from now or two years from now you say Flores isn't the guy. Let's scrap the whole system and start over because then you'll never get to even be the an oh, adequate yeah. team you know like this will be a total test marathon Stephen ross as an owner of whether right. he can be patient enough to do this because it's not going to look good it's not going to be pretty for a while and then you know maybe they do have a buffalo type year where they you know surprise everybody and are better um than expected but that almost works against you you know you're I think it does, uh, yeah. to me from a big picture standpoint you're going look if we take three years to build this thing Brady's got to be done by then, doesn't he? Because <laughs> you're in be. that division, you got no chance. I mean, this is like I might have said that three years know, ago, but yeah, yeah. This, you're, this is like your, you know, your division rivals have Wilts and Kareem and Moses Malone. That's dating myself with older players, but you know what I mean. It'd be like <laughs> sure. having, you know, just having the having the LeBron in your division. You know what I mean? And you just feel like you can't. You're probably not, although now in the in the West, but you know what I mean. You're just stuck. You're stuck behind Brady until Brady can't play anymore. That's just a fact. But I think you hope that Tua or Lawrence from Clemson is the next LeBron. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you get him. And you get him. And you're going to be in position to do it. And, you know, let's build our roster along the way. And, you know, at a certain point, we've got to find that quarterback. If it's not this year, it's next year or the year after. But, you know, plug him in and go from there. And, and hopefully the dynamics of the division will be different by then. And that's my last topic with Miami is the quarterback because I also think it would be a mistake if they used that you know mid first round pick on a quarterback. Like I want that to be next year's project because I could just see bad things happening behind that line with that organization in its rookie year. It could be David Carr all over again. Um, don't reach and say we have to get our quarterback now. I would rather build infrastructure this year. And then next year, you're presumably picking in the top five, maybe number one. And again, you could get bounces and be better than you think. You know, I didn't think the Colts would be a playoff team this year. But I think next year is the sweet spot for at our quarterback behind a better infrastructure. It is. I, I think that, you know, quarterback, though, you have to take the opportunity when it comes. So if you have somebody that you love and think can, can be your guy in a great fit, and it's an inconvenient time to take them. I think you still take them. Um, the disciplined part would be, you know, hey, if you feel that way, that he's in a fail, you know, it'd be an instant fail situation, then just play Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let him take mm-hmm. the bullets, you know, and that's sort of a takes discipline to do because everyone's going to be looking at that guy, that young guy, why aren't you playing him? And almost nobody anymore does the Carson Palmer thing where you sit him for a year, you know, no, behind never John happens, Kitna, right. like they did. That's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do. So I think there's going to be several 
tests along the way of the patience of the Dolphins. And yeah, that, was, that starts with ownership. It really does start with ownership. That was the flip side to me of, you know, don't trade up 10 spots and get Haskins because then you're going to end up playing them in week six. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's you're not going to sit them like Mahomes because you're not going to be a playoff team. It don't even have that guy in the building for now. You know, draft guards. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just don't give up a great, a great, you know, if you have a guy rated as the guy, you still got to do it. But ideally, I like the way you've got it laid out. Yeah. I think that's the best plan of attack. But again, if you love a guy, you take him. Um, folks, thank you for tuning in. And remember that you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, Please tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. That is a wrap. Mike, thanks so much. Let's do it again next Thursday. Great. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. We will see you later. And I will be back tomorrow with my second mock draft. Over and out.